Welcome to our interview series on brave feminine leadership. Today, I have the absolute pleasure to be joined by Cheryl Hamer. Cheryl, thank you so much for joining the conversation. My pleasure, Melissa. Looking forward to it. So in this series, we are talking about No More Secrets. Uh, we've got incredible leaders sharing their journey from good to great from a leadership point of view. And Cheryl, I'm going to kick off with your bio for anyone in the audience who hasn't come across you before. So Cheryl is a non-executive director on a number of Australian listed boards, including Hancock and Gore, Best in Global Foods and AI Media Technologies. She's also a non-executive director for the Chartered Accountants Australia and New Zealand, as well as an invited member of the Digital Experts Advisory Committee, which is part of the Prime Minister's Digital Technology Task Force. Prior to entering the boardroom, Cheryl was a C-suite marketing director who led large teams locally and overseas, including uh, George Western Foods, Yum Restaurants and Unilever. Outside of the boardroom, I know Cheryl's a passionate mentor, has mentored for over 20 years for corporates and entrepreneurial women, and works with organisations such as Mentor Walks, Women on Boards, the National Association of Women in Operations, and the Marketing Academy. So um, you seem to keep your days pretty full, Cheryl. With <laughs> Thank you again for joining us. My pleasure. Can I ask for people who haven't come across you before, you know, I'd love you to share with us sort of who are you as a human being and let's jump into your incredible career journey. Oh, thank you. Um, who am I as a human being? That's an interesting question. I think that I'm a person who you know, holds authenticity and integrity as really high, as a really high bar for myself and for others. I am by nature very inclusive. So even as a little girl, I invited everyone to my birthday parties. Um, I don't believe in leaving people out. And I think that that part of my personality has stead me in great steed all through my career and into the boardroom. Mm. Um, I really value other people. And I, you know, I love people in general. I just love being surrounded by different people with different views who are interesting and who do interesting things. And I love to learn. So I do a lot of my own professional development learning, a lot of personal development learning. Um, and I also think you learn a lot from working with others who are really interesting. So I feel fairly blessed that throughout my uh, personal and professional life, I've come across incredible other leaders uh, I've learned from some in incredible bosses. Uh, I've learned from really great colleagues. And I hope that all of those have coalesced into me as I sit here today, all these years later from when I left university to now, um, and have helped me become, I guess, I hope, you know, a strong leader today and, uh, and maybe um, provide some aspiration, at least for my daughters. <laughs> so, yeah. Don't, don't we all hope that? So, yes. Carol, can we, let's go back to, you know, where did you grow up? Um, you oh, know, those, those parties, where were they being held? Uh, um, I grew up in Sydney. Um, I grew up in a really stable family. had a, a very loving family uh, in my father and my mother. Uh, my father was an immigrant from Poland who'd come out at the end of World War two having lost his father during the war mm -hmm. so my grandmother brought up him and his brother um, then he had two daughters uh, so myself and my sister and my father never questioned the fact that I was a female and that I would be educated and he held education at the absolute forefront of being able to be a success in your life but also a contributor to Australia which he held dear 
as a house, as a home for him. Mm. And I think he his values are really deeply instilled with me in terms of you know the, the value of family and friends, the value of being really true to yourself, the value of education and learning. And then my mother had like a very soft, generous uh, heart. My cousins all talk about Auntie Val as always giving the nicest gifts and always never forgetting a birthday. And so she had the kind of softer center. Um, and I think the two of them are very deeply ingrained in who I am today and something I only reflect on as I get older. Mm. Um, you know, you don't always understand the impact your parents are having when you're young. So I had a pretty blessed childhood. Um, and my parents were always proud of us no matter what we did, right? They didn't set us a bar to be X, Y, or Z. They just wanted us to be, be as strong and successful as we could and stand in our own right. Not were, you were you good at school? I was. But I wasn't, you know, I went to a public school, you know, I think it was $20 a year plus textbooks. I had a great cohort. It was in the eastern suburbs, so there were a lot of, you know, well-educated you know, people, homes people were coming from. Um, but I also, you know, had a really diverse and multicultural kind of uh, uh, group. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was good. I was as good as I could have been in that environment and certainly got me into university. Um, and I had a fun and I'm still friends with a lot of my high school friends today, which I count as a blessing. Brilliant. Did you always aspire to do a certain thing at university? Like were you, were you on a track or did that meander? as a younger girl I either wanted to be a private investigator or an actress um which is probably pretty common <laughs> maybe is why I end up in marketing but I um yeah no I started uni not I originally thought I might want to do law then decided that I didn't actually want to do law and then I'd I was really confused by what to do it was the um mid 80s and you know I really didn't know what I wanted to do and you know computer science as it was called then, was the thing. Having not done any sciences for my high school certificate yeah. and only humanities, of course, I jumped into computer science, <laughs> which was really dumb, but I, um, I, I truly didn't have a clue and vocational guidance wasn't that great back then. Um, but I did all sorts of humanity-based electives. And so, and then I started dating um, a boy at uni and he said, you should do marketing. I said, what's that? He said, you'd love it. I said, okay. So I switched. <laughs> That's about as informed as I was at the time. But it was great advice because actually ended up being a fantastic course for me. Um, I got there quite quickly because I had done the electives I'd chosen to do and the kind of the rest is history because that really was a beautiful landing spot for me. And is that person still around, uh, the one that suggested you head into marketing? He is, but he and I never got married. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, no, he's still here and alive. I don't know if he realises he had that impact on my life. But, um, you know, I've had lots of different people give me tidbits of advice along my career and I you know, reflect on them and they've all been pivotal points where I've made decisions where someone has suggested something and I've gone, oh, okay. Um, so let's jump into, I know you and I are both passionate around, um, you know, helping leaders and I say female leaders with a lot of the work we do sort of, finding their ultimate potential and navigating their career and all the things that go along with that. So early stages of your career, how did that go? How quickly did you get promoted? Did you put your hand up? How did all that sort of work? Yeah, look, I was fortunate to join Unilever, you know, beautiful training ground for individuals. Um, you know, had a lot of females in it. Um, and I had some incredible leaders. I also learned who, not, who I didn't want to be like. 
Mm. So as a young person, I observed certain behaviours uh, and certain ways people were treating other people, uh, perhaps their subordinates. And I used to think that's not what I want to be like. And that was important for me as and were as important to me as it was looking at those that I wanted to be like. But I was really lucky. I mean, I had, I guess, what today would be called informal mentors who really supported and, and helped me and believed in me. And I learned, you know, that every every meeting and relationship is an opportunity. And anytime anybody offers you a chance to try something different, you should say yes, even if that means later working out how you're going to do it. Mm. Um, but it's kind of one of my life lessons. And, you know, an early example was that when I went to my boss and said, you know, look, in a year's time, I'd like to go and work in London. I've never been. I didn't do a gap year, um, but I really love working here and I want to come back to you in Australia, you know, a couple of years down the track. And he said, well, hold on a second, let me see what I can do. And he made a phone call and he said, I'm going to promote you anyway. Made a phone call to his co his uh, colleague in the UK. And, you know, within a year I was being swapped with someone and I was planted in Unilever in the UK. Mm. So, you know, I learned there that you should say what you're after. And I, I wasn't a threat. I was just being authentic and true because I did genuinely want to work for them when I came back. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I learned from male and female leaders who sort of subsequently gave me opportunities and, and I learned to speak speak out what you want to do, but treat people with respect and and with honesty, mm. and, and you know, it usually works for you. So um, we'll weave parts of your story as we go through this, but I'll get straight to sort of one of the core questions from the series around what's your perspective on whether leaders are born or made, Cheryl? Mm. Really interesting question. I think we all have. I think we're all born with the ability to be able to lead. Um, how high and how far, I think, is really dependent. Um, I think you can certainly learn to be an ex extremely effective and strong and motivating leader, but you can also be a leader without having to run the place. Mm. You know, you can lead in your patch really well. And so I think, I think we're born with the ability. I think not everyone's born with the confidence or the support to actually enable that because you do need enables. You need people like my parents and my friends and other people who are forever believing in you, but, and bosses ultimately and organizations that support and believe in you as well. But, you know, confidence, self-esteem, the ability to back yourself are other things that you have to have. So, and again, I think circumstances can affect how much or a little of that uh, becomes how you're made. Can I ask, just because you touch on the theme there, I'll sort of jump into it. When you talk about that confidence and self-doubt, one of the things that I hear often is, and, and I know from experiencing it myself, that confidence and self-doubt, you know, I mean, that that wavers from time to time at various points in your career. Have you felt that? Have you had those experiences? Absolutely. I mean, we all... You know, I've, I've been asked to speak at an event and I've gone, oh, my goodness, how am I going to do this? But I say yes. And then I sit down and I work out how to how to overcome my nervousness or, or concern about being able to pull it off in an appropriate way. Um, I've learned that if you prepare like crazy, your confidence goes up. Yes. And I also think you should cleanse yourself of people who don't support you and help you and feel and give you confidence and surround yourself by people who believe in you, who are, you know, loving and giving and caring. And they're the people you want in your orbit. And they're the people, it's people that help you build confidence as well as capability, which comes from preparation, learning and 
and practice. You know, every experience I do, every time I do anything, I get better. Yeah. So have you had an have you had an experience just reflecting on you sort of talking about cleanse? Um, <laughs> have you have you had an experience where you had to cleanse? Um, and I don't expect you to give details of people, but you know, a point in your career where you had to had to do that. Absolutely. You know, um, and and some of it's not too long ago, but you know, where I have felt that I'm surrounded by individuals who don't have the same ethics and integrity behaviorally as I do, albeit we're walking a strong line in terms of governance and legalities, um, I've walked away. Mm. I don't walk away from much easily. Mm. Um, But you have to be able to look yourself in the mirror. You have to like what you do. In fact, I would say you almost have to love what you do. I've always said works like a relationship. When you don't love it, you should get out. Uh, But I um, I think that... You have to stay true to your core, even if it means you think, oh, gosh, I'm, I really want to throw on the towel here, but I have to. And, you know, you end up feeling so happy you've done that. Mm. So, you know, I think absolutely. So has there been, um, well, I, I just think oh, I had so many questions I wanted to ask you just then. I was thinking, which one do I pick? Um, so let's, let's go with the leadership side of it and let me ask if you had to call out sort of two pivotal points that really shifted your leadership what would they be i think um one for sure would be when i went into a role in my corporate career which i really liked i loved the business um but it was the wrong fit for me mm-hmm. and i say so call it early so i think i'd been been advised at some point by a recruiter or something in my career if you make a mistake, you're better to, to move early than sort of reach a midpoint and then leave. Um, so I think that for me was a pivotal point and a pivotal piece of learning. And I still maintain that if you've made an error, you should get out, you know, quickly and don't worry that, you know, it's only going to be six months on your resume as long as you can explain it. I think that is absolutely fine. Um, I think the other, you know, pivotal piece for me, you know, I was made redundant out of Unilever after a massive career there, including three years in London. Um, I came back, did it another year here, then the job was made redundant. It was a massive shock, Mm. right? Because whilst I was at nine years in total and I had started thinking about leaving, I would clearly on their high, you know, high potential list. Um, The phone rang hot from people all around the world saying, come over and work for us back in Unilever here. Um, but in effect, and, you know, even my direct boss was not supportive of the decision, but it was taken out of her hands. Um, but, you know, that, that cliche of, you know, one door closes, another one opens, it got me moving. It also showed me that out of a, a shocking or adverse condition, really good things come. And you should you gotta gather yourself, look at the learnings, take the time to reflect and then, you know, don't ever, you know, I maintain I had the most brilliant career at Unilever. I loved it. So I'd never changed how I felt mm. about the organisation and I never became um, negative or whiny about it. I just gathered myself, had all, a lot of love and care around me and I moved on to much brighter pastures for the next half of my career. Mm. Um, so that, I guess, was another. And so I say to people, because people get made redundant, people get told they can't they don't get the job you know there are there are circumstances where you expect things and they're not and then the unexpected outcome occurs but at the end of the day most of those times become silver linings 
Mm. You know, and learn from them, reflect on them. And when you are in a position where you might have to make someone else redundant or say no to somebody who's applied for a role who's really close to the person who gets the role, you know, think about how you handle them. Mm. So in your career, did you have profit and loss accountability along the way in your roles? Yes, always. You always did. Okay. Yeah, well, obviously not as a junior marketer, but, you know, as I reached middle marketing management, chief marketing officer, et cetera, roles, absolutely. And I worked for companies where that mark, which were highly financially uh, responsible and the marketing people had to be across the numbers, mm. um, which was a little frustrating uh, when I started my board career because there's a bit of a perception that marketers can't read P&Ls, yeah. aren't numerate. Um, and perhaps in the past, we've been our own worst enemies on that front. But, you know, you hear things like, oh, it's the crap, you know, the colouring in department and oh. these, <laughs> these things. I'm not saying um, no recruiters and no board chairs have ever said that to you. But, you know, there is that thing out there and you talk to any marketers and they'll tell you that. But I don't think there's a role other than the CEO in a business that has the entire line of sight in the organisation because I couldn't get a product to market if I didn't start with the numbers working with production, supply chain, logistics, you know, and everybody else to bring the best product possible product to a customer. So that, that level of, there's a level of uh, naivety, I think, around it. And certainly um, most marketing organisations today have marketers in them who are highly numerate and you, you had to be. And it's, I know when you and I connected um, previously, one of the things we were talking about is, you know, you're starting to see a lot of new roles pop up. So chief of staff, CEOs are, are bringing in. And often you see marketing people move into those roles because of the breadth and depth they have um, across the organisation. It's certainly a critical role. Yeah, there are big moves to try and get more people from functions outside of finance into the CEO roles. You know, so sales, marketing, people and culture, those kind of people who are crucial because all businesses have customers and all businesses have people. Um, and so you need those people at senior level and be, to be respected with their role. They can play, you know, as a right-hand person to the CEO and ultimately as CEOs. And Cheryl, you opted not to follow the path to CEO. You opted to step out to non-executive roles. What was sort of the driver behind um was that a conscious decision or was that just where we've where we are I'd love to say it was a really well-planned decision um, I think there are two, there are two ways into the boardroom ultimately one is you either or out of your career you either jump off a cliff or you plan your way into it um, I'm really decisive so once I make a decision I typically just act um, so and I can plan around that but I do tend to follow my you know, instincts and my decisions I stepped out not originally to do board roles, but I stepped out because I was ready and being interviewed for CEO roles and wasn't sure I wanted to do it. I knew I could do it. Mm. Um, and I just wanted to have a look at, you know, what else I might want to do. I was young enough to go back if I wanted into corporate life. Um, so I started consulting a little bit um, through my ad agency as a strategic planner on big accounts, et cetera. And a couple of years in, I thought oh, I might have a look at the board piece again. And from there, I just started that journey and I sort of, I never really looked back. Um, it was probably longer than it might have been had I done a CEO role coming from where I came from. And also back then, the age at which I stepped out, which today would be much more acceptable as a board director, I was pretty young still. Yeah. Um, but and I had a lot to learn and I don't re regret a single moment of my career. 
all my board journey because I've just where I am today was made by all the different roles and people and learning that I had through these last you know 14 years of when the, since when the journey started um so yeah but so yeah but so I made a conscious decision and I've never really gone wow I wish I was a CEO now <laughs> um so, oh, when you've got an extraordinary breadth of career across the number of boards and things that you're involved in now, um, is there a, you know, what what is the pull towards that? Is there a real love for, because you've got such a mix of different things that you're involved in? That's true. Well, I do love variety. Um, <laughs> I do like, uh, I like, I think I genuinely like helping. So hence the mentoring, some of it's formal, some of it's informal. Um, you know, I believe if you're going to be a member of an organisation, you should, you know, should play a role, contribute where you can. Um, you know, I feel, as I said, I think earlier, you know, really fortunate that I have fantastic people in my history who have supported me and I have fantastic people in my life still today who continue to support and care for me and give me confidence to keep going. Um, and so I think, you know, I think what goes around comes around. You know, I don't think you have to consciously plan it, but I think if you typically are kind and trustworthy and open and honest with people, you will get that back in spades. And I think that helps build the foundations for where you ultimately land. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think giving back is an important part of who we become. And if we've been lucky enough to be successful based off our own lens of what success means for us, then it's incumbent upon us, I think, to try and help other people be successful. Absolutely. So um, along the way in that particular, well, I think we don't have more females moving into senior executive and CEO roles. Um, look, that's a tricky question. I think partly because out of the sort of skill set I come from, people opt not to do it or they don't see the opportunity there. Um, I think some women are drawn to having a, a more of a portfolio career and a more flexible life. Um, I think they recognise they've got a lot to offer and they want to just take those skills elsewhere. There are a lot of women business owners. So a lot of us get up and go, you know, I've reached a point where I'm going to take all of that, but I've got a great idea and I'm going to start my own business. Um, I think there are more females in part-time roles than any other uh, anybody else. Um, and I think, I think perhaps we're brave. I think we're actually potentially very brave. And so maybe not as drawn to stick to the traditional career paths. Um, and that's, that's not for the wrong reason. That's just because we like variety and change and believe we can get there without having to follow, you know, the exact path that our predecessors necessarily took in the male variety. You mentor a lot of executives and a lot of female executives when I look at the groups that you're um, involved in. What do you, what would be the three most common things you would hear from them, um, you know, if they're thinking about accelerating their careers? Yeah, they would say, I don't, I, I really think I'm ready to move to another role or a different department or whatever, and I don't know how to ask for that without seeming to be aggressive. Um, as opposed to assertive, but so how do I get, you know, what do I, how do I say, how do I get the language around asking for what I want without sounding, women are very humble and feel like we're pushy if we want to ask for something. It's not a trait men suffer from, um, but, you know, we are a little humble on that front. I would hear that, you know, I'm 
finding it difficult to have my voice at the management table or the you know their their management board table um and i very often hear i'll say something and then my male counterpart will say it and they'll go that's a great idea like i didn't ever speak it so why is that kind of my voice not being heard and i think the other thing is you know how do i how do i get to where i want to get to if i don't want to tread a traditional path okay what what advice do you give to people on those three things i tell them i use that piece around being prepped so have be really prepared have all the facts have the data uh, but stay on point you know you play the ball don't play the person don't let it get personal um around the board or management table i would say to them you know just when you speak you know make sure everybody's listening you know try and underline the fact you can't avoid the fact that you'll still say something and someone will say it 10 minutes later and it'll seem like a brilliant idea but you can certainly circle back later to anyone important in that role and say you know i really supported what x said you know i hope you understood i felt the same way i mean i think you just need to build your credibility around that uh, you can't whinge and whine about it it is life you just have to find a way to express it uh, more articulately more clearly perhaps mm. um, and I think building a career out of a non-traditional path I think find opportunities to be involved with broad projects that broaden you from your traditional swim lane and find a way to articulate the value you bring organizationally as a whole as opposed to only articulating what you bring as a marketer or a salesperson or a human resources person, so that you show that you have a breadth of business understanding as you build to those next parts of your career. Because we all do a lot more than we realise we do. We totally do. Absolutely. Our title. So, yeah. Have you had good mentors and sponsors along the way? Yeah. Um, most informally, if you like. I, I didn't ever join a mentoring program back in my day. Um, but I absolutely have people who I know now will have been and continue throughout my career to be tremendous mentors. I have people even through my board journey over the last few years who have become mentors to me because I've worked with them in some fashion. Um, and so I do have people I call on for that. Um, and then I'm, I'm fortunate to now have had a formal mentoring relationship uh, facilitated by the AICD chairs program where I had a tremendous chair and that we spoke this morning you know I check in with her even though I'm off the program the program's finished for my cohort but she continues to be someone who I speak to uh, throughout my board career now um, and she's been tremendous to me and so yeah I mean yes there are people and you know when I've made hard decisions there are people I will speak to about those before I make my final decision um, and particularly if there are people who I'm aware have been through something similar. Mm. It's interesting, the other day I went to a, I do some mentoring for Minerva, who work with elite athletes, yeah. and um, one of the athletes there, they were talking about feedback, and this is an athlete who's gone into a corporate career, and she is hungry for feedback. And she talked about the fact that as, a, as an elite athlete, all you get is feedback, yeah. good, well-meaning feedback, feedback designed to improve your performance and therefore you're hungry for it. And she just could not get over the fact that no one gives feedback. And I, do you find that? Like, do you, did you have to work hard to get feedback through your career or, you know? 
Um, well, when you work with somewhere like Unilever, they have lots of fantastic process and structure. So you learn a lot and they have fantastic processes for that kind of thing. And similarly, yeah. yum restaurants and so on. Um, but I had, I did, you know, when I went to the UK as an expat, which was with Unilever, you know, three months into my role there, I went to my boss and I said, could I have a three month review with you? It doesn't have to be written. I just love to chat to you about how I'm going mm -hmm. and, and if I'm meeting your expectations. So I think I learned you know, I was self-motivated to, to go get the feedback. So my advice to other people when I mentor or just chat to them is if you're not getting the feedback but you'd like some, you know, go ask for it. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't have to be uncomfortable. You can ask your boss, could we have a coffee, get them out of the office and just buy a cup of coffee and have a chat and, and, and be really, you know, tell them how much you're enjoying the role and et cetera. But, you know, you'd love to understand where, you're, where you sit and how you're going um, in order to make sure you're being effective in the role. And, and similarly, if you want to give them feedback in some fashion, like I'm not, I don't have enough to do, or I think I can do more than you're giving me in this area. You know, I think you need to create a platform by which you can also say that because feedback is by nature two way. Mm. But I think you, you need to get the guts to just go ask for it. Do you advise people to pursue a portfolio career at board level? Um, yes, but it's not for everybody. Yes. So, um, you know, and it can be it can be frustrating. You know, there are a lot of fantastic uh, executives and directors out there vying for lots of the roles that come up. Um, they come in all shapes and sizes. Um, you know, there's higher level of responsibility and accountability. Uh, obviously, particularly in the listed space. Um, and, you know, you have to be resilient. Uh, you have to have the capacity to, to deal with it. You have to be able to deal with crisis when they come up. You need to be able to take out the emotion and stay very rational and fact-based. Um, but, you know, I and, and I think financially you have to be stable, you have the stability to do it because not everything comes with the same salary that you get if you're CEO of a big organisation. And that's just a fact, right? So, you know, you need to be able to sort it out for your life. But, um, and people do courses and then conclude they actually don't want to do it. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, so yes, I, if it's for you, yes. Like for me, I love it. Um, but it doesn't mean it's for everybody. What do you love about it? I like the variety. I like working with really varied and diverse types of and if individuals around each board table depending what business we're working on I've learned a lot from the challenges we've had to face on various boards throughout my board career I like that I am stretched to utilize the value I bring naturally through my career now but I'm still stretched and learning all the time from other people with different perspectives in different areas and working with businesses that are so varied as opposed to one organization is really interesting and I take stuff I learn on a board that might be completely related, unrelated directly to another board, but I learn something here that I then apply here. And that can, that's a much more immediate effect of that in, at times mm. than you might get if you're in a straight, you know, on a straight ship sort of path. Do you think there's a secret to your success in this space? Um, I am resilient by nature. Um, I think, you know, I think, you know, I'm good with relationships. Relationships are important in the board space. Uh, you have to play well with others. Um, but you have to be, you know, naturally curious, which I am. You know, I love that's part of that learning piece for me, but I'm always curious. I think you have to be, you have to have respect for others. 
So you kind of have to know you're not self well enough to know you can play well with others because whilst you're an individual, the directors are equals and we're a team of equals. And, you know, that, so you have to be able to work in a less than autonomous fashion than when you're actually running the, the entire building. Um, but you also have to be able to get in and under the business and, and put your head to it. So, you know, I think, I, I guess I have the traits of what makes, you know, for a decent director. Do you prioritise self-care? Um, I'm, I don't necessarily have, so do I prioritise? Yes, but it comes kind of naturally to me. I will take any opportunity I get if I have a gap to do something else in it. So, you know, I'm, I'm very good at taking myself off and going to have reflexology for an hour. You know, if I find myself between meetings in the city and I have an, a couple of hours spare, I'll go and do something else, right? Um, so in that fashion, yes, I love holidays. I love planning holidays. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm very social and I'm a big, big follower of the arts. So I go to the theatre a lot. You know, one of my daughters said to me last night, you must go like once a week. Right. I was like, I'm not sure it's as often as that, but I certainly go a lot. And I love that. I love, I love I've always loved the theatre and I've always loved film. Um, so a big passionate follower of these arts, particularly the Australian arts scene. Um, and I believe that's an opportunity also to give back to a group that really need support. Particularly now. Particularly now. And I sit on an arts board and I love it, but it's been a very tough time. Yeah. But I have huge respect for that industry. And I think that for me is a really great outlet for, for my personal care as well. Is there a soft skill that you're still working on in that theme of continuous learning for leadership? Um, I can be quite emotional as a person. I'm quite soft, um, you know, balanced with sort of the ability to, to put that aside. Um, I think you always, you're all, I'm always learning about not taking things personally, mm. you know, because as much as we all might treat people well, not everybody treats you as well. Um, and you really have to continually remind yourself that it's actually their problem, not yours. Um, so that, you know, I tell my thing, I often say, I've learned to think sometimes before I speak, mm. particularly if it's, it's hit a chord. Emotionally for me, I've had to kind of gather my brain cells to go, okay, just put that in a little box for a minute and respond to the issue trying not to take it personally so that probably for me is the, the the one piece that I feel I'll be working on until I die probably <laughs> I had a, a wonderful conversation as part of this series with um, Liz Broderick yesterday and and we spoke about exactly the same thing around that period of time to to pause acknowledge your response so your physical response to something which gives you so many clues to how you know have I taken this emotionally how is this impacting on me um, and doing what you just said putting it just just acknowledging it moving it to the side and then you know intentionally responding um, without that sort of emotion attached to it I think it's so important and it's really interesting because what I've learned from that is it diffuses the power the other person just had over you mm. You know, so, you know, the way to respond, for instance, to a bully in a playground is not to bully them back, is to not let it affect you and move on because then they'll go find another target, for instance. But, you know, the point is, if you don't play in their, in their playground with them in that way, 
you deflect, you diffuse the sort of inherent power that it comes with otherwise. You made such an interesting uh, comment that I haven't yet explored when you and I first got together, but around women getting younger as they age. <laughs> yes. Yes, I, a lot of my girlfriends are saying, I'm getting younger, my husband's getting older, or my partner. Um, look, I think that, you know, what do they say, 40s, the new 30, et cetera, et cetera. I think... I think the, I think the, you know, I'm an optimist. Okay. So I'll put that out there first. I'm an optimist. So I'm always glass half full, but I think the world has become so open in terms of what we can or can't do and the, the opportunity that exists. And I get, one of the reasons I also mentor is I love being surrounded by often younger people. You know, I have two young daughters in their twenties, but you know, I get so much joy out of seeing the fact that they consider everything is possible. And I think as a group at my sort of age and stage, having those people coming up behind us in a sense is energizing mm -hmm. and is enabling us in a funny kind of way to stay more useful. Um, but I think women have learned to have a voice. We are brilliant at using each other to gain our own personal strength. And I think we are inherently like having fun. Mm -hmm. And I think we've learned that that's actually okay. You can actually go to work, put a smile on your face, be bubbly, and that's okay. You no longer have to fit a cookie cutter mold of what used to be okay. So I feel like you know there are a lot of lot of bridges still to be jumped in order to get enough women out there on the senior role piece. But in general, I think I see I see so many extraordinary women in all in my path, and I'm just so chuffed by that because I think that will ultimately mean that business and and so on will will be better. So I, I just think we have realised there's opportunity and I think that has buoyed women into more youthfulness, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, I mean, not a philosophy, it's just my kind of, I can't think of another way to put it, you know. I love that. I love that. Um, I would love to ask you the final question that I ask everybody, which is from your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership mean and do you think it needs to change? Um, I think brave feminine leadership means being proud of being a female, mm. you know, not having to uh, apologise for traits that may be more feminine than not, for to recognise that what you have to offer is enormous and, a lot, and there's lots of different ways you can use that. Um, I think it's about, you know, getting nurtured by being surrounded by other wonderful women. Um, and I think, you know, you're brave, be bold, you know, be prepared to ask the questions, be prepared to ask a dumb question if that's how you feel it's coming across um, and be, be back yourself, you know, find ways to learn self-belief. And as I said before, you know, don't be with people who don't support that. But I think it's about, you know, recognising that you can actually be even more than you think you are today. You know, you don't have to settle for the place you're currently placed. Mm. Cheryl, thank you so much for joining our conversation. I know there's so many things in there that will resonate so strongly with people and that people will continue to think about afterwards. So to all those increasingly younger women out there, uh, we, <laughs> we, we see you. Um, Cheryl, it's been so fantastic to have you as part of the conversation. Thank you so much. 
Thanks, Melissa. Thank you for the invitation. I've enjoyed it.